Hello, I am Razel Schusterman, and you are listening to episode 22 of A Positive Podcast, a podcast where we discuss ideas and concepts on our emotional well-being and how we can educate ourselves to be a better version of ourselves. Today's podcast is sponsored in the merit for the safety of all the people of Ukraine, especially our brothers and sisters struggling to remain safe in a difficult situation. May Hashem watch over them. Please consider adding a mitzvah, a good deed in their merit. In addition, today's podcast is sponsored in the merit of a complete recovery and healing for Chava Gutta Bashenya Chasya, a young little cousin of mine who is struggling for her life. Please say Tehillim Psalms for her and add an extra mitzvah in her merit. Please, Hashem, hear our tefillos, our prayers, and send her a complete recovery today. If you'd like to sponsor an episode, please reach out through my website, apositivecoach.com, or through Instagram at apositivecoach. In addition, if you would like more info on how to set up a free consultation for positive coaching, you can reach out through my website, apositivecoach.com. In today's episode, I scheduled a time for a few of my friends to sit together for bring and discuss ideas that connect to one of my favorite topics, happiness, simcha. These five friends all happen to be shluchos, Chabad emissaries, who are spread out all over the world. My friend Chaya Chitrik lives in Istanbul, Turkey. My friend Sivi Greenberg lives in Vancouver, Washington. My sister and my bestie Devora Halperin lives in Allentown, Pennsylvania. Miriam Lipsker serves Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia. And Hami Silverberg from London, Ontario. These five dynamic ladies share their understanding and wisdom with all of us. We recorded this podcast the day before Purim Katan, and it was full of fun, joy, and meaning. I hope you will find this enjoyable as well. I'm so grateful that they all agreed to come on and share in an authentic, real way so that we could learn together and grow from their wisdom. I hope that each of you listening will be able to find inspiration and ways forward for your own personal happiness. I know that I did. So sit back, relax, and be ready to grow. Thanks for joining me for this special edition of a positive podcast, Life is Better with Friends. I thought it would be a lot of fun to have a conversation with friends on this topic of joy and happiness, especially in honor of the month of Adar, and specifically that tomorrow is going to be Purim Katan. I can't think of a better day to tap into some joy. I know that I could use some of that in my life. So let's start off, first of all, with a quick round of introductions. Um, if you don't mind to introduce yourselves and share a short memory from our youth or something that we would all enjoy to listen to and go down memory lane. So, Sivi, why don't you start? Sivi um, Greenberg. I live in Vancouver, Washington. If you don't know where that is, don't feel bad. Most people don't. We actually have a little bit of a complex. We were Vancouver, not BC, Washington, not DC. So <laughs> hopefully that will help you. Um, we... Uh, run a Chabad here, my husband and I, my family. Um, so yeah, that's that's the short of it, I guess. Chabad and parent of my seven children, which I guess I probably should have said first because it takes up 88% of my brain, heart, bandwidth, and so on. Um, should I share a memory right now? or do you Yeah, mean? go for it. Well, so I, I, was, I was thinking and I, I like just little snippets were popping up, but something that did occur to me um, was not so much a memory, but kind of a thought. I was thinking how, you know, how childhood friendships, um, how they're very formative. 
And I was thinking, you know, we came from actually this memory probably mostly applies to Dvaili because we were in the same grade. And when we went off to camp together and then to seminary to Israel together, and as much as like that's where kind of like, you know, we spread our wings and met new friends and incorporated, you know, more in our social circle. I do remember like really leaning on you at like as a 12 year old in camp. And then again, when we were in Israel and I don't know if I ever like thanked you for that, because like our Aww. lives did kind of go in their own direction. But that that small town friends like that, that was um, a very meaningful, formative part of my life. So. So sweet to me. <laughs> okay, go ahead, Deb. So I am Devorah Halperin. I, uh, I'm a shlucha here in Allentown, Pennsylvania in the Lehigh Valley. Um, my claim to fame right now is that I'm Rizal's oldest, older sister and I take that role very seriously. I'm 13 months older than her and I take that role very seriously. I am also a mom of seven and I run a very busy, full, fulfilling life as we all do. The memory that I actually have um, with Rizal when we were little girls, we used to sit on the windowsill and we had a game called Hani and Sarah. And that was our game. I bet you Miriam remembers that game. And I think back all the time, if only life was as simple as Hani and Sarah's life was raised, wouldn't that be amazing? If oh. we only knew, but that was the memory that I thought of. We all wanted to be Hani. <laughs> I think I was always Hani. I love it. Okay, Miriam. Okay, Miriam Lipsker. My husband and I run the Chabad at Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia, along with our eight children. And um, picking out a memory was not an easy thing because my childhood, I mean, I, I don't know how Hani and Sarah didn't have like a <laughs> that came over because um, I grew up it, with- it definitely did eight brothers and my house was very overwhelming, like testosterone level. So whenever I needed a little, you know, feminine vibe, the Spalters at that point only had one brother who more or less was told not to make himself, you know, present no. for any reason. <laughs> so I would escape to the Spalters house for some, I don't say Hani and Sarah action, but some uh, girl energy or feminine energy. Um, but that's a memory that actually came up as a picture, not as an overwhelming, um, you know, noise or, or, or symphony behind my childhood was, um, I'm not sure why we did this, but just about every Purim, being that that's coming up very soon, Raisel and I would dress up as twin, and then you fill in the blank what it was we were dressed up as. So one year we were Mishloach Manot. I don't know how we got our parents to drive us to Woolworth, and we got baskets, and we wove ribbons in it, and one year we were you twin bakers. I have pictures and I, one year, the Rabbinical College of America flyer with all their programs in it, I believe it was our baking really far out costumes. We had like an apron, a hat, Morristown levels. It was really, really high end. <laughs> um, and that was one of the promos was like these two little cute bakers, which um, I actually have the picture still, but I don't think Only on podcast. So I will show you the picture, but that's a memory. That sure. Both Bailey and Razel. Uh, I know you're Dvorah now, but sorry, um, are, are a part of my, my childhood on, like, it's hard to find a memory without, you know, a memory of friends that doesn't include one or both of you. So. Chaya, um, Chaya, give your my introduction. Name is Chaya my name is Chaya Chitrik from Istanbul, Turkey, mother of eight. I feel a little bit out of place here because I think most of you have a connection from your youth. 
I met Razel when we were teenagers. We actually met in uh, Israel. We had sublet a friend of yours apartment for the summer. I didn't know you before. We went with a mutual friend. And a funny memory that I do have from that trip was you decided one day, even though we all had meager, meager salaries, I mean, what were we making back then? We're going to splurge. We're going to go to Yamamelech and we're going to stay in a five-star hotel. Well, one of us had to have a cell phone for that trip. So I was the one who rented a cell phone because, you know, cell phone rentals were expensive. We're sitting on the bus and we're using the phone to make phone calls. We get to the destination. I realize the cell phone is missing. I don't know how or why, but it ended up becoming my problem. <laughs> it was a good learning experience for me on the value of when it's worth it to take out insurance, when it doesn't make sense, responsibility, etc. Good learning experience. That was a great summer. Good memories. Yes. Um, Nahami. Um, Nahami Silverberg. I live in London, Ontario, Canada. I always have to say that. The real London. Um, I'm also a mother of eight and I am a principal of our little Hebrew day school here in London. I wish your listeners could sort of see the scene because it's a lot of smiling faces going down memory lane and everyone, I'm pretty shocked that no one was just like, oh, remember that? I'm like giggling out loud because it is funny. But um, just like Chaya, I mean, I know that I was in camp with Razel younger, but we became really close um, later on in life as well. And the year after Israel, uh, sorry, the year after seminary, we actually got to tour Europe together. We did a camp in Denmark. And the reason why I'm saying the story is because, Razel, I know that you constantly bring it up. I feel like it's like a traumatic moment in her life. We were in um, Amsterdam, I think, and we obviously didn't have food. We were just scrounging places that had restaurants we ate at, and we had bought some fruit. And Amsterdam, from all the places that we toured, I mean, we were going to keep it PG, but we didn't really know what Amsterdam was. We didn't know. No one told us, right? So we were no like, clue. No clue. So we were going to go just and Frank's house. I mean, what else is there to do in Amsterdam? And we ended up so we were like suddenly, yeah, we did end up up, you have to add that part. We We ended up in in the the red red light light district. district. Yeah, that that was, yeah, that's where we A learning experience. I learned about insurance in in Israel. We we learned a lot more (laughs) We learned that we're not going to let our kids go to Amsterdam. I have a feeling you're going to have more cutting material on this podcast and you're going to have material to use. It keeps going. This Bottom way. line is, is that in um, we were sitting in Amsterdam waiting for our bus because we, we didn't have what to do there. And we bought some fruit and Rizal had an orange and she took a piece of orange and she literally was choking. But I'm like laughing, totally oblivious of the severity of the moment. And she was literally like not even like coughing a little. Yeah, literally was- doing that. And I feel like you always bring it up. Nahami, remember when I like almost died and you were just like You save her life? No, no. not even. I just, like I wish you had a great it. ending. Yeah, I, I coughed it up. I just said, I'm not dying in Amsterdam. This is not where the story's <laughs> ending. I have a podcast to make. No, no oranges. And that's Without it. Without a professional oh. microphone. Exactly. <laughs> I feel like Kaya is totally going to make a fundraiser for this. Uh, Hi, this I think this is going to be a great gift that my sisters and I are going to. Now I know oh. it's a good reason. Yeah, uh, yeah. A surprise. 
Yes. Okay. We're all good with that. But yeah, so they make a good photo shoot also. They're not just fun for the sound. Like you look, I know. You look, you look, you look professional. Like deal. Yeah. Okay. You, to, you don't have to like blot, blot your screen out in the back. Oh, right. Blur it, blur it. Blur. Okay. So we all grew up together. Some of us in Morristown, others we met in um, camp or in school. And I think that the one thing that binds us all together, and I have other friends that weren't willing or able or available to come on here, but aside from shared history, is that each of us have this unique joie de vivre and this happiness about us. And this doesn't mean that we haven't each individually experienced in our own lives challenges. In fact, I don't know anyone who walks this earth unscathed, and which in fact is the point of today's conversation, how happy people do happy. So as here is how I wanna do this. I'm gonna ask each of you a different question and the question's gonna be addressed to you guys, but after the person, um, answers. Everyone else is invited to weigh in, agree, disagree, give a source, add a story, highlight, whatever it is, because I want this to be a learning experience that is helpful to people that are listening in as well. So I'm going to begin with Tivi. Like that? We're not going in age order or like beauty order? <laughs> Maybe like, she's going in age order. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I no, think I'm no. the oldest. Me and Miriam are the youngest, I think. I'm definitely the oldest. Wait, did you say Today? the question? I no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, oh. I'm gonna, I'm gonna start. Okay. okay. <laughs> so it says, when the month of other enters, we increase in joy. And this year we have 60 days of joy. So my question to you is, what does this mean to you to increase in joy? What does that look like increasing? What does it mean to get up and, you know, every day, is it pretending that everything is great and that we, then we serve Hashem with joy and because we're supposed to serve him with joy and then serve him with extra joy when other arrives. Like, what is that all about? Can you define this idea that is being suggested here? I think it's by the Gemara that states that. So it's it's a it's a great question, um, especially since I mean we're talking about other now, but I think joy is a it's a Jewish theme in general, right? It's not exclusive to other. So I think Absolutely. I think in order to you know a good way to tap into the energy of this month's joy specifically, I think we have to understand how it contrasts with. Um, the joy that we Jews talk about the rest of the year. Okay, so I'm going to do that for a second. Um, we know a lot. We know a lot about joy from the month of Tishrei, right? We're told in Tishrei, be joyous in your holidays. Sukkot is called Zman Simchasenu. It's the holiday of joy. That's followed then by Simchas Torah, which is rejoicing in the Torah. So it's it's all joy, but that's a kind of joy, as I understand. It's a kind of joy that comes from this relationship that we have with God. Right, we just crowned him as our king on Rosh Hashanah, and then we go about fulfilling all these mitzvahs, all these obligations, as part of our commitment in our relationship with God. And there's joy in that, right? That's what the energy of, of Tishrei offers us. It's jam packed with mitzvahs, so there's this joy in being able to fulfill God's wants, God's needs. I guess just like in a human relationship, right? But obviously a little more so because here we're talking about the King of Kings. So that's Tishrei, that's, there's a relationship, there's a commitments, there's the obligations, and by fulfilling them, we, we can achieve this deep sense of joy. But then contrast that with other, okay? Actually, specifically with this first month of other, there's no obligations, there's no holiday. It's true, there's Purim Katham, there's, you know, the minor Purim, but that comes with absolutely no obligations, right? There's no specific mitzvah, there's no specific commitments, there's nothing specific attached to this month. And yet, this is the month in which we are told that we increase in joy. 
So look at that, right? It's this joy of just being. It's not a joy of doing. It's not a joy of, of say, having fulfilled obligations or of having completed a checklist or of having mastered all of my commitments. It's just a joy of who I am. I am a child of God. And just for that, I have every reason to be joyous. And you know, it's true. You have Judaism asks us to tap into joy throughout the year, right? Throughout the day, as a matter of fact, because our days are filled with obligations. Obligations, of course, you know, as, as opportunities, there's opportunities there for us to connect with God, to enhance our relationship with the master of the universe. And by all means, that is going to come with a full sense of joy. But then the month of other comes and it says, there's a joy that's greater than that. There's a joy that's even deeper than that. And it's accessible to you right now, today, exactly as you are. Other kind of, it comes kind of then says, like, pause, you don't need to be doing anything. This is a celebration of just who you are. It's true, you might have to, you might have to pause long enough to, you know, calm and, and regulate yourself so that you could align with, with who you are at your core. And in that, you can access joy. You know, it, this is something we, we take for granted or aren't even aware of, but joy is the natural flow of the universe. Joy is the natural state of our creator. And that means that my natural state of being is also joy. And it's true that life may have, you know, led some of us to forget that. So I'll remind you, joy is our natural state of being. And you don't have to look any farther than the way kids laugh and play. That's how we all started out. So Tishrei, I have to be told, throughout the day, we're told, but in this month of other, there's no obligation. It's just this natural increase in joy with absolutely no strings attached. So I guess to, to answer your question that you asked me five minutes ago, I, I think what it means to me, to me, other is that month when I want to clear away all the static and all the noise. And by noise, I mean all the things that, you know, come externally to challenge my life or, or even internal blockages, internal noise, noise that blocks me from aligning with who I am at my core. I want to clear that so I could tap into that, that natural state of being, that natural state of joy the joy in being exactly who I am. And I think it feels pretty doable when I think of it in terms of like one moment at a time, one, one meditation at a time, one little inch at a time of, of stretching my heart muscle a little bit wider. I, I'm, I, honestly, I'm, I'm already feeling it just by talking about it. So Love it. thanks for asking. So Can when the Torah says, if do us Hashem simcha, would you say that that would be clearing away the noise? Because it is work. Clearly, it's telling us that we have to work on our simcha. It's not something that just, so how do you, how do we connect those two? If do us Hashem simcha, I would say would, would require aligning ourselves, like regulating ourselves and aligning ourselves so that we could tap into that inner state. But also the if do us Hashem simcha is the simcha of obligation. Like you're, ob you're it's a simcha of a relationship. You're mm -hmm. in a relationship, you get to fulfill that purpose, that person's needs. And so just doing that alone leads to joy. But others like, it's not about obligations. It's just tapping into the natural state of being. All right, but I, th it. I think that sentence also gives us a clue that if do avoida, work is joy, meaning doing things that are hard and investing and working on things is where we- In our culture, it's like, oh, that's not fun. Like that can't be joyful, but there's, there's a very Jewish- theme underlying that message that working and toiling on something valuable and meaningful is also a source of joy it's not just the fun happy joy that we 
referred to, but also meaningful, purposeful work that whether that's clearing away blockages or doing things in the world that are of value. And those are also very strong sources of joy that David Hamelech refers to in uh, the Psalms, if do as Hashem Simcha. It's a, I think it's a big one. Yeah. So it's as we get older, right? The Avaida could come. Like you mentioned, Sivi, that Simcha, we look at children, it's obviously like this is the natural way things are supposed to be. But as we age, maybe that's when it becomes more of an Avaida. Right. Well, like, it could be natural. Kids. There are kids that are. Yeah, no, you're not right. Be cheerful. And, and that's a disposition that they need to. I, I, I like to. I'd like to point out though that like other brings it back again though to say it's not about doing it's not about purpose it's recognizing who you are at your core like doing is all year long tishrei is that message it's more of like a cerebral type of to know and to have this mindset and to have this frame of you know this positive outlook but other is like it, it, you don't even have to tap into a thought process you have to so tap into your natural state of being the word is balance also, but I, um, what I'm hearing you say is this idea that just being sh should be a joy in, in itself. We don't, doing can bring us joy for sure, but we should also be able to tap into joy just by being. And, and that's, and that my friends, I find to be very hard. Um, I, I'm I working on that I also just want to add what Sivi's saying is that I think it's so rich of Yiddishkeit that sometimes we have these things in place like we don't even notice like we that we have to be mindful of our joy even if it's just being even if it's just not even have doing an action but just the idea that we should be mindful of it that Yiddishkeit almost imposes and comes on to us and says be this way or feel this way is really amazing and that's like you know we see it throughout you know we have Rosh Chodesh you know be mindful of your time that not, time's not just fleeting and you're not just going from thing to thing but here's another example where we're almost expected to reflect what in whatever capacity the Simcha comes out, right? Yes, this is true. Okay, moving along to the next question to keep things moving. As parents, our job is to do our shlichas or our jobs and be good spouses, raise our children. We all want to create a happy home. So what does creating a sviva of Simcha, uh, like a, what does it look like to have a happy home for you and your home? And what would you tell others that they should you know, add on perhaps to create this atmosphere of happiness? So first of all, I'm, th I'm flattered that you think I have a happy home because that's something I very much strive in my home to, to, to do and to achieve for my children. Um, so I, I, I appreciate the question. So the, when I was thinking about this, I was thinking, you know, before we actually talk about how I created in my home, I think I wanted to just touch for a minute on what really is Simcha. And I think for everyone, it could be different, but what truly, like, let's just go back to basics for a minute and talk about what is happiness. So we know that every month on, on the Shabbos Mavarchem, on the Shabbos that precedes Rosh Chodesh, we have a special prayer that we add in our davening. And in it, we ask for that Hashem should give us a month of Sasson and Simcha. So there's like two, two, two kind of forms, so to speak, of happiness. And we ask for Sasson and we ask for Simcha. And Interestingly enough, in Gemara Sukkah, there's a very interesting um, interaction that happens between two heretics, one named Sasson and one named Simcha. And they're having this argument, and Sasson says to Simcha, or is it, no, yes, yeah, Sasson says to Simcha that I'm better than you, because in the um, 
um, in the verse Sasa v'simcha tasigu, I'm listed first, that you shall try to obtain Sasa and Simcha, I'm mentioned first. And Simcha responds to him, no, I'm better than you, because in the Megillah, which we're going to read very soon in Purim, in the Megillah it says, Yehudim haisa ira v'simcha v'sason, and there my name precedes yours. And so they're having this whole argument as to who's better than who. And it's very interesting that the Gemara would even state this whole story and, and this whole interaction and what it's about. But we have to, for a second, take about what is the difference between Sasun and Simcha. So the difference in the terms, although they both kind of translate to happiness, Sasun literally means um, excitement and joy, where Simcha is more happiness and contentment. And it's more of a of a calm feeling. So when I was thinking about this, I was thinking to another memory. Um, when Razel was in seminary, I surprised her and I flew to Israel. And I remember when I walked into the room and she turned around and she saw me for the first time. And Nahami, you remember this because I think you were with me. Um, she screamed and she was so excited. And I think that was like a minute of her, like her susson, her, her, that was to me susson. But then when we embraced and we were just like together and we just had that peace and that, that calmness and then contentment of just being together, um, that was true happiness. That was for us, like that was the simcha in it. And so I think that was the kind of the difference between susson and simcha where susson is more of like, you know, spontaneous and loud and joyful, where simcha is more panemius and more more contentment and more um, calming. And that's what I truly try to bring into my home is more of simcha. It doesn't always have to be, I try to tell my, my children all the time, it doesn't always have to be a three ring circus. It doesn't always have to be, um, you know, loud and but, but it has to be true happiness that comes on the inside and something I really strive for in my own life. Um, and one of the things I, I do a lot in my home is I constantly have music playing. I'm a very musical person. I find that that brings me a lot of inner simcha and contentment. And to, those are some of the things, but to me, what I really try to, to, to teach my children is that simcha and it doesn't, happiness doesn't mean noise. It means inner peace and calmness and contentment and being grateful and happy with what we have. And that's what I try to bring into my home. Love that. That's great. So good. Um, I got to work on the less noise thing in my home. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't mean it's not you always in my home. Of course. But happy. Okay, Miriam, this is for you. We're all seeking happiness, and yet it seems very elusive. It's like covet, honor. The more one pursues it, the more elusive it becomes. What would you say is the greatest obstacle for joy that people have for most people, and what could they do about it? So I don't know if anyone's had this experience or probably more accurate to say, how often have you had this experience where you walk into a room and it's a beautiful room. It's like you see that someone took a lot of time and effort to decorate it and it has beautiful art and it's painted in curtains and beautiful furnishings. But then you see that as you're stepping into the room, one of the tiles on the floor is either cracked or broken. And right away you go from, you know, that initial like, oh, this is so beautiful to what kind of like schlock house is this that it's cracked or it's missing and, and no one took care of it. Or if rooms aren't your thing and people are more your focus. So you see someone who obviously took a lot of time to get beautifully dressed and their bag and their shoes and their makeup, everything's perfection. And then they smile at you and there's a little piece of spinach, you know, in their teeth. Um, and you're just, your, your perception of this person's 
put togetherness, you know, gradually dissipates because like, you know, they just obviously are missing something important. And I think it's a, it's a human experience that's very pedestrian. Um, we don't even realize it's happening. And I believe that it's probably one of humanity's greatest, you know, obstacles to happiness. I remember um, I actually was roommates with Bailey and Razel at separate times, but I remember anytime I would bring a new book um, into read, Razel would give me a hard time about what kind of, you know, garbage I was reading um, compared to what she was reading. I'm not going to, we're going to keep this really peachy, so <laughs> not going to give any titles, but I remember reading this book in the, like 1998, right when it came out, I was very excited about this book called um, Happiness is a Serious Problem um, by Dennis Prager, and I, I don't know if this book you specifically gave me, you know, like, what kind of garbage are you reading? Why are you interested in this? But I believe he coined this term, um, happiness is a serious problem, and he, his, his um, syndrome was the missing tile syndrome. That's what he called it. I don't call it that per se, but I think this concept that instead of looking at what I do have and finding joy in what is, and I think it kind of goes back to what Sivi was, was highlighting about the month of other, it's what is, it's who you are. It's not the externals or the imperatives or obligations of if do of working or finding joy. It's what is being happy with what I do have and what is mine and with the blessings I'm blessed with. Um, if we have that perspective, there's always something to celebrate. And if, um, and I'm, I'm saying if, but really we all do this. It's just how much we do this. I look at others and I see what they have and it looks better and the grass is greener and this one has better this or more of that or easier with this. Um, it's, it's, it's an automatic um, source of pain or discomfort. And I think maybe because I live um, for the last two decades of my life on a college campus and that's really who I spend, you know, my time with outside of my family, I really see the negative um, challenges or the, or the, well, negative and challenges don't need to go hand in hand, but I see a lot of young people really, really struggling with this specific obstacle to happiness, which is if I'm comparing and I'm always seeing and I'm always scrolling what everyone else is doing, everyone's vacation, everyone's home, everyone's trip, everyone's, you know, sorority party. And it always looks like everyone's having it better than me and everyone's enjoying life more than me and everyone has it easier than me. Then even if other people are looking at me that way, I feel miserable and I feel sad or I feel, you know, that that I'm losing out or missing out. And so it's it's a concept that has many um, sources in in, you know, Jewish tradition about, you know, whether it's Pirkei ethics of our fathers or, um, you know, many, many anecdotes in the in Talmud that discuss um, someone being happy, you're happy if what you have brings you joy. And I would just say as a, you know, I don't know, practical tip, but I find that for many people being on social media platforms doesn't spark joy after a few moments of interesting, you know, content, you usually end up feeling a little less than, and that's something that you can easily control by putting a limit and knowing when it's affecting you in a negative way, put it away and do something that actually brings you joy, even if it's as simple as going for a run or having a coffee with a friend or reading something, but do something that highlights the blessings in your life so you could appreciate them because they are there and that distracts you or doesn't let you focus on what you're missing or what it seems someone has better. Um, and I know that's just one, um, you know, 
perspective on what is an obstacle to happiness, but I think it's a big one for, for absolutely. Missing child is syndrome is definitely something that um, all of us struggle with. It's what we see. It, it's not only for our own unhappiness, but even our loved ones. When we look at our children and they come in their dress and well, what do we see first is their flaws. And we should be able to see their soul first. Like we talked, like you talked about, but that idea it's, it's so, it's so hard. It's, it's a difficult thing to overcome, but when we practice it, like we know about neuroplasticity, the more we practice it, like the muscle, the better we get at it. And um, it's work. We got to keep at it. But thanks for sharing that. So Chaya, you live far away in Turkey, Istanbul, and it must be particularly hard for you to find the skill to be besimcha. At least I would think so, because it's so far from family and friends. And though it seems you have brought lots of simcha in your life, I feel that way. What would you tell someone who wants to increase in joy, especially if they're having a hard time or having, maybe they're having a hard time finding joy in the first place. Perhaps they're dealing with a crisis or health or children that are you know, challenging or what tips or tools can you suggest to still be with Simcha? As you know, we have lots of tourists every Shabbos. And I always say that we should print out a little book of facts for when people come because people tend to ask us the same questions over and over. Granted, they're curious, they want to know. But for me, I'm hearing the same question week after week. How did we end up here? What do my kids do for school? Do I speak the language? And all things of that nature. Now, it should be one of this should be one of them as well. You say, uh, is a hard skill to be besimcha. And I think we're confusing over here two different things. You're confusing loneliness and happiness. I could get, I could get lonely. And I'll tell you in my first years here, and I'll say maybe even my first decade plus, whenever I would leave America, whenever I would leave my family, it was very, very difficult for me. I would cry, but that doesn't mean I wasn't happy. It was two different emotions going on because as Devaley mentioned earlier, really what is happiness? I'm gonna sound cliche over here and I'm gonna do it, but happiness is really something within. And if you think about it, External factors could bring you joy. As I'm eating the ice cream, yeah, I'm happy. But what happens once that ice cream's gone? While I'm getting a new dress, if you care about clothing, or while I'm doing something that I love, yeah, I'm happy. But what happens when you stop? You know, like you say, like these couples that are working on their marriage and they run away on a vacation, they say it went great. Guys, you're missing the point. You have to get along when you're home, not when you're away on a vacation. So I think the way we have to look at it is that things come, things go. And when you're happy with yourself, when you're, the word is, I think, at peace with yourself, when you're content with who you are, then you could be happy. And I think happiness is something only you can bring to you. It's the only thing you could bring to your life. It's a mindset that you have. It lets you know at certain points, yeah, you have to let go. And you have to believe at a certain point that not at a certain point, you always have to believe that things are the way they're supposed to be. And if you believe that, then you could be at peace and you could be content. And I think Sivi mentioned or Miriam mentioned, everybody mentioned, and I feel this is going to happen whenever you ask the questions, because whenever it comes to things and we base it on Torah, it's always going to inter, you know, overlap. We mentioned the idea of serving Hashem with joy. The idea of serving Hashem with joy, yet yeah, David HaMelech speaks about it at length in, in Tehillim, and we, we read about it in Torah, as Sivi said, we have this idea of happiness and, and joy. But if you look back in history, the idea of serving Hashem with joy is something that the Hasidic movement 
took seriously. And the rest of, uh, if you would say, general Judaism, Orthodox Judaism at the time, they looked at it as suspect. Because what does that mean that you should be happy? The way the world or the Jewish world at that point looked at everything was that anything physical you should look at with disdain and with disgust and comes along Hasidism and says, one second over here, it's not such a bad idea to be happy. It's not such a bad thing to be happy in this physical world with your physical things. And as Hasidim, we're taught that we should look at the positive. We should look at the good things. And when you live a life where you focus your life on asetov, that you should be doing good, then you're inclined to be a happy person. I have this guy who eats by us every single Shabbos. He's actually, he's Turkish, but his family moved to Israel and his business is still here. So whenever he's here for the weekend, he's by us for Shabbos. And every Shabbos he's giving to our Torahs and he's giving me his theories and his thesis about, they're all surrounded about why we're going to go to hell and what our punishments are going to be and how terrible it's to be a woman. That's why in the brachas, it's one of the few things that are mentioned together with being a slave. And I said to him, you know what? I think if you would start focusing on the Ase Tov instead of the Sor Merah, you'll become a much happier person. They're both true, but one lends to a much more content, peaceful life. Happy doesn't mean that my life is perfect. Happy is telling me that even in my imperfect life, I have some sort of peace. And I think maybe it was Miriam who's, who mentioned when the, our sages tell us who is rich, right? It says, who is wealthy, who, who is a wealthy person? Somebody who's happy with their portion that they have, they're a wealthy person. And if you take a moment to think about that statement, it's really, really fundamental. Why? We're asking you, want to know what's true wealth? What has real value? When you're happy with the portion God set out for you, what he decided you should have, then you're going to be happy. Then, then you're considered wealthy. Your happiness ends up defining your entire relationship with your time on earth. And I'm sure when our Chachamim, our sages asked who is wealthy, when you think about a rich person, when you think about a wealthy person, what do you think of? We think of somebody who's got everything going for them. They can have what they want, when they want, how they want. It's all just right because they have money, right? Like we have the Hebrew saying of Bala Meir Bala Dea, like the person who's got the money, he's got the ideas, he's got the opinions, he's worth it all. But I, I, I think it's telling us over here that if you want to, if you're a happy person, then you're a rich person. Because when you're a happy person, you believe that everything is ultimately the way it's supposed to be, the way it was meant for you. How many people do you know that have nothing but have everything? And how many people do you know that have everything but have nothing? Years back, I remember reading a great saying that said, some people are so poor, the only thing they have is money. So I think we have to start looking at happiness as a decision more than an emotion. And if I can, a final thought on this, Riz, only because you asked, like, you know, it's, it's a difficult skill. How could I be happy, etc. We find an interesting short story that happens in the Torah and touched upon just briefly in this week's parsha as well. But we know when the Mishkan was set up, right? So the Kohanim, the priest had to eat from certain sacrifices. And it tells us that Aaron, in fact, ate from the sacrifices that were unique for that day. And after he eats from those sacrifice, the greatest tragedy that could befall a parent ends up happening to Aaron. His two sons, Nadav and Aviu, bring a, a offering they shouldn't have brought. And we know they were consumed by a fire of God. They die. 
Shortly after that, there were more offerings brought and Aaron did not partake from those offerings. Instead of partaking from them, he burnt them. And the Torah tells us that Moshe sees that Aaron didn't eat from these sacrifices that he should have eaten from. And he got upset with Aaron. He said to Aaron, how is it that you didn't put away your personal pain for the joy of God? And so Aaron said to him, listen, the sacrifice that was special for the day, yeah, I participated in the joy. But then after the tragedy of my boys, I couldn't, I could no longer partake in that food. And so I burnt it. And it says Moshe listened, thought about it. And it says that he thought about what Aaron did. And he realized that what Aaron did was the right thing. Because one doesn't have to be at the expense of the other. Happiness doesn't mean that I never experienced pain in my life. Happiness doesn't mean that at the same time, while I'm feeling happy, I'm feeling pain. I mean, all of us here have sent away children for school, right? Think about that first time that you sent away your child for school. How did that feel? Okay. It, was a very, it was a very painful feeling. It's a very emotional feeling. But at the same time, I can't think of any greater happiness for a child, for a parent to know that your child is going to continue on in the way that you, God willing, hope is the right way and the way that you're trying to raise them. And so you're living with if you will, conflicting, but they don't have to be conflicting emotions. We just have to know how to keep the balance, if you will. So it's all about balance. And what I'm hearing you say is that both two feelings can be true at the same time. Well, that's all about Tanya, right? The right and the left part of your hearts are all pumping you uh, conflicting emotions that have to coexist. Okay, Nahami, this is your turn. So, okay. Growing up, you gave off the impression of being a very natural, happy person, as well as having like a sense of careful, a carefreeness. And I know for me, it's what drew me close to you. And it's one of the many things I enjoy about in our relationship. I do think that some people have a gift and have a more natural, happier disposition. It's easier for them than others. And it is a gift. Like everyone has their own specific gifts. I think this is true for you. And do you agree? And what would you say you can attribute your sense of happiness and carefreeness to? Um, so I just want to start off like Devaley and thanking you that you think that of me. <laughs> and I, the short, obviously I agree that, um, and I recognize that this is a, a gift. I don't think that there's something that I can attribute in my childhood or in my upbringing which I know is not empowering. And it's hard to hear like, so she has it easy. You know, she was born with this natural, as you said, disposition to be happy. Um, and I think that when we're younger and we look at something and we say, oh, I wish I was prettier, richer, smarter, skinnier, whatever, fill in the blank. All those things are gifts. So we're all, you know, born with, as you mentioned, different qualities that really define us. Um, I think as I've grown older, though, I do recognize the value of just having a happier disposition. And I think that it's something that I hopefully can pass on to my children, right? Like just it's, and as we're exploring what happiness means together, I think because everybody's just, you know, giving their own definitions. And it's really interesting because I know, Chaya, you said, you know, internalizing versus, you know, the internal or like having happiness versus joy. And I looked at it in the complete opposite way. I mean, like some people usually do define those, that word with the two translations of joy and happiness. 
And I think happiness is sort of like an outward expression of what's happening, whereas joy could be more of an internal, you know, you're internalizing, it's not fleeting, it's more sustainable. Um, and, and again, so what I'm saying is, is that, yes, people are predisposed with being happy. And then there are people that are not, and it's a challenge, and they kind of have to work more at it. Um, and, you know, I, I look at myself, and I know that there's a quote that I always see, it comes up on my Facebook or on Instagram, anywhere on social media, and it says, you know, dance like nobody's watching. And I, it's obviously famous because it's, it's all over and people are hanging it up in their room. And I, I never really understood because I dance like no one's watching. It's, it's not something that I struggle with and I, I just can't understand it. So I think there's a lot of, you know, things that come with being, let's say, naturally or having the, you know, predisposed uh, uh, quality of being uh, happy. Um, but it's not something, it doesn't mean as high and as everybody is pointing out that we don't have other things or uh, there aren't other things that I struggle with. Um, but this happiness, I think it's, it's, there is like so many of you mentioned, there's a sense of contentment. I don't really look at others generally and wish I had something. So it is. And, you know, like uh, as they brought down in Perkyavis, what is wealth and all these things, I'm just going to add, I feel like it sort of ties in everything together, just bringing this question sort of like ties in everybody's ideas, but just to end off also with a, a short little story, which I think all of us are very familiar with. It's um, from the Dubna Magad about this poor family and, you know, they need money. And then there's an island that the, they're told that the streets are paved in diamonds. And the man decides that he's going to go and bring some, go make this expensive trip so that he, he can have the diamonds and feed his family and have money. And we know that he, saves up the money, goes to the island, and comes here, and true to the stories, the streets are actually paved with diamonds, and he starts collecting all the diamonds. But because he's there for a long time, he needs to find a place to sleep and eat and things to eat. And so he goes into the hotel, and he has these diamonds. He's like, okay, how much is it per night? And he presents the diamonds, and the hotel owner sort of looks at him and says, are you kidding? Like, diamonds are worthless here because they're of no value. We have them all over. Everybody has them here. The currency is, and I've read many different versions of it, it's either fish or milk or whatever it is that the island doesn't have a lot of. So the man goes and he goes fish, fish, and he brings in a lot of fish. And finally, he accumulates tons of fish. So he's able to buy a house and he sets himself up. And after his year, he like collects all of this big fortune, which at that point is fish because he had worked so hard to get it. And he goes home and by the end of his long journey, he comes to his house and his wife says, okay, where's the, where's the money? And he gives his wife a bag of very rotten at that point, smelly fish. And I mean, the basic nimshal for the story is obviously that we shouldn't lose, you know, like we recognize that Tyra is the true diamond and it's the true treasure. Um, but some, I think it's very interesting to sort of analyze this man's actions and how quick he was to sort of push aside all of his values and recognizing what the worth of the diamonds were. Like he didn't even take a few home and put them in his pocket. And we, it's easy for us to look at him and be like, what a silly man. But I think we all do that. We all know that like uh, material happiness is fleeting. We all know that, oh, I'm gonna be happy if I get the new car or if I get, and 
the minute we get the new car, we may be happy for an instant, but then the next minute or the next day, it's just a means to get you from point A to point B. So I just like think that realizing and looking, you know, a little bit what real happiness is, is that it's not something that's just material or something fleeting, but things that really genuinely make you and feel and make you feel happy are really the things that we should be running after and chasing and seeing the true value in them, which I have to say for me, obviously, like when we're saying happiness, so I have a happy disposition, but does that mean that every moment is happy? No, it's also a work in progress for me. And, you know, even, even though I'm predisposed to this character trait. I love that. Um, it's so interesting. I just want to share that in positive psychology, there's something called the happiness pie. And they did like all these studies specifically on twins to figure out what are the factors that make people happy. And they studied a lot of different nature versus nurture. And they came up with the three factors that contribute to happiness. And it's like this, 50% of your happiness is your gen genes, your genetics. Like if your mother's unhappy, you're going to be unhappy. If, you're, if your mother was happy, you're going to be happy. So genetically, you have 50% chance of happiness is based on your genetics. So if you have that naturally, the 10% is the external uh, things that happen to you. Like if you were hit by a car or you were born into a rich family or you were born into Pakistan versus America, whatever, those are the things that happen to you. 10% of your happiness is what ha is that external things that happen. And the remaining 40% is your intentional activities, what you do about it, how you think about it, like what you actually do about your happiness, like what you choose to do. And I found that to be fascinating because you could have 50% of a chance of being not a happy person, but you have a 40% chance. That's a big, that's a lot that you can choose. Even if you're dealing with something really difficult, you can that still doesn't choose. doesn't sound very that. exciting though, because that means that even if you do everything you've got to do, which is your 40%, then let's say even the 10% was somewhat good. You still yes. got, if you, you came, still have to, if you come from a messed up background, you're still only got 50% chance. Right. You have to work on it. Yeah. There's no hundred percent happiness there or 88% either. No, it's like we spoke. 88% is only when you take care of your kids. Right. Well, no. <laughs> so that gives you joy. But, 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 it's, but I think it's also, it depends how you look at it. Like, you know, you're saying, oh, it comes easy to me. I'm a natural happy person. But yet you could also genetically not be such a happy person and you could still choose to do what you choose to do about it. How do I choose to look at this? How do I choose to frame this? What do I want to focus on? Do I want to focus on the, what's missing or do I want to focus on what's here? So I think it's very powerful. Hazel, before you go, I just wanted to say, yeah. Nahani, with regards to dancing like no one's watching, I just, this thing doesn't leave my mind. I, I, the night of your daughter's wedding was the same night as my brother's L'chaim. And as we were leaving town, I said, I cannot, I can't not go to her wedding. I must go in. <laughs> and I walk in and Nahani sees me and she lifts me up and spins me around like on this tiny little thing which I'm not and it was just like the joy and the simcha in her I, I I was so happy that I took those two minutes to stop just to to be there and just to receive that kind of a greeting because I've never been greeted like that so <laughs> I have to always talk to remember your husband that. honestly I'll, I'll call <laughs> your husband lift you up <laughs> okay I love I that. My husband, but I could not get down easily. And, and she did dance like nobody was watching. I just Always. want you to know that was the best too. part. That is the best part. I didn't realize that was a phrase, Nachami, that you were into. As we were at a pegisha shabbaton with a chabad on campus, and after Shabbos Havdalah, they do a whole dance thing. So Nachami 
runs out and comes back in with these sneakers that had uh, light up Led lights. Like everyone's watching you. She's dancing with these light up things like the, uh, you know, the, the dance, the dancing Revitin. Um, and it was, Love it was it. awesome because I think when, when you have that, it's not just a gift to you. It's a gift for everyone around you because That's what I'm saying. Yeah. People, exactly it contagious so even if someone isn't gifted with that disposition when someone's so into it and doesn't care who's watching even though there's a thousand people in the room actually staring at you <laughs> I, I saw that um yeah. it actually is contagious and it's a beautiful thing because it's like a gift that keeps on giving so I wouldn't just like leave it to like oh I was blessed it's a blessing for anyone in your life who gets to be a recipient of that joy or feel it or see it or observe it in whatever exactly, way exactly so, because here I, I thought I, I was awesome. here I thought I was doing the hummy a favor like I need to stop and say mazel tov but in the end I was the one who left so uplifted physically and emotionally and just I, you know, I, I was the one who, who received that joy and that simcha from being there for that two seconds that I stopped. So thank you, Nahum. Miriam, it's funny you said that everybody was watching because, you know, there's a second part to that saying, which <laughs> dance like nobody's watching. The second part says, because most of the time, nobody is. Right. Except that it, that it's, it's to point upon it, uh, this idea that we all think everyone's looking at us. Right? No, it's, it's to touch on this idea that you were mentioning before that we lived in this this whole self-absorbed world, which is also fake, because nobody's really think there's no there's no substance to it really. Right. Yeah. This is a less on the topic of other happiness, but but it connected to happiness. There's a well-known saying, um, you're only as happy as your least happiest child. Meaning we can only be happy if our children are happy. Meaning or that's the level of it. Do you agree with this statement? And how do you navigate this challenge of watching your children deal with disappointments and struggle. What do you find to be helpful with that? So I'll, I, I guess my instinctive thought is yes, that saying resonates with me and I've used it. I've used it, you know, I've used it while talking with other parents regarding the challenges that they were going through with their kids. I actually remember like just a couple months ago, standing out here in the parking lot, talking to a dad in my community, you know, he's standing there as shiny red Tesla, but like the heartfelt kind of brokenhearted cheering a struggle his daughter was going through and how it was taking you know such a heavy toll on him and his wife and just invalidating what he was experiencing i share that you know i acknowledge that it makes sense that you know when his kid is unhappy it's going to be hard for him to find his own happiness but i have to say that with my own experiences i had to dig a little deeper than that because i really i wasn't ready to settle with being just as happy as my unhappiest child um, you know, listen, anyone, any mother can relate to this. And obviously even more so a mother who has watched her child in pain. There is nothing in the world more painful than watching your child in pain. But here's the work that I had to do. I had to separate my child's experience from my experience. It's his pain, even though it's part of my journey. Yes, I have to stand right near him or her. I have a daughter too, right near him while he's hurting, but a healthy boundary and healthy compassion is where I know exactly where he ends and I begin. It's like, literally, like you, you can see my fingers touching each other. You know, we're deeply, deeply intertwined, but it can't be enmeshed. I can't be enmeshed in that way, or there's no space to come up for ear. You know, even just so I'll give a little simple example. This just happened a couple of weeks ago. Um, one of my kids was doing a form of exposure therapy for like social anxiety. And I was having to walk with him into a store and he was going to go over to the clerk and ask a few questions. 
And my job was just to be totally hands-off watching from a distance. And his therapist gave me very clear instructions when I was, you know, in documenting this experience. She said, make sure that you're separating your experience, you know, your nerves, your anxiety, your worries about him and how is he going to do and how is he going to feel? Separate that from his story, from his experience, because it's not your story. This is his story. You know, the way I read the world is very different than the way my child reads the world. And I don't need to superimpose my story on top of his. And additionally, I would say, which is so, 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 so important, more than anything in the world, a child who is in pain, they need to feel their parent right there with them. But they need their parent to be calm and regulated and filled with hope and filled with positivity and filled with faith in, in a better tomorrow. The very last thing that a child in pain needs is to also shoulder, to carry that responsibility of being the cause of his parents' unhappiness. So that alone has to serve as a motivation for every parent to figure out how to create that healthy boundary so that you can sit with your child in true compassion without your child's pain getting enmeshed in your feelings. I love that. Um, I have a term for it. It's called roller coaster. Um, because we use a term like I take them to the park, to the amusement park, and I don't get on the roller coaster with them. So I sit on the bench. They could see me from, from the, from the roller coaster. I, they could be seen and I'm right there. I'm watching the roller coaster the whole time. I'm holding them in a positive space in my heart. I'm feeling them. I'm there, but I'm not on the roller coaster. And then when they come off, I'm right there with a drink and a bag for them if they need a bag. And I'm That's right. And they analogy. know that I'm right there. And, you know, like, don't get on the roller coaster with them. It's just, a line that I use a lot and staying it's a, regulated. It's a tough. It's hard. It's hard. I mean, think about your child in physical pain when they cut themselves. Yeah. You know, I mean, they fall and cut themselves, not they're cutting themselves. They, yeah. they, they hurt themselves. They're bleeding. That how much pain and worry and angst we're in, that's like on steroids when it's an emotional type of pain. So really like forming those healthy boundaries is, is work. It's so work. Doesn't that it's also essential. touch on um, like codependency and all of that? For sure. Absolutely. Because you're not really helping them. You're, and the, the most incredible thing that I'm learning in Al-Anon is this idea that you're actually helping them, even though you're not, that's not what you're trying to do. You're helping yourself, but because you're calm, because you're staying regular, because you're creating this space, like this is your life and this is my life and I love you and I'm here for you, but this is the boundary here. You give them that space to be able to say, oh, I have to own my own stuff. I have to own my own stuff. This is mine to own. And it's, it's, it's a, it's a work. It's not something that comes natural. I just think about my little, you know, my Henny, who's five, who, by the way, recently, she told me this Shabbos, she asked me, when am I going to be on your podcast? <laughs> I, 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 was, That's a great I one. was like, wow, <laughs> sidebar. But um, you she a had a podcast with her race. As she, as she was a little newborn, she had um, a, uh, what, a, one of my hairs got stuck in her pajamas and got onto her little pinky toe and it started, I heard her crying. I didn't know why she was crying. And basically um, it was cutting, literally cutting off circulation. I had to take her to the hospital to, to cut that tiny little hair. And I, I couldn't handle the pain. I had to leave the room because it was, it was too much for me. And I know that that's my work because I have a very hard time watching my children struggle. I think everyone does, but I think that when we're able to, again, ground ourselves, self-regulate, stay in a place that this is from Hashem, this is what Hashem wants, this is, there's good here too, there's, this will be good, and there, it is good, and I just don't know yet, just staying in that space. I was, I was just in the 
I was in the, not just, it was a, when I was, I was in the ER with my four-year-old, she split her chin and I, you know, Baruch Hashem, it was, there was, it wasn't gushing. We were calm, just waiting, 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 waiting. And she was laying calmly on me the entire time. And as I was leaving, the doctor said to me, he said, I wish I could have taken a video to show the other parents that walk in here. He said, your child did not cry once and it's credit to how calm you remain. They feed off of our energy. They feed off of our nervous system. And if we're regulated, we're creating that space for them to achieve that That's regulation. I, I, you, know, you, you said feed off uh, your energy. Everything you started off with was really a lot of food for thought that I need to spend some time thinking about. It's a good thing this is recorded because I'd like to re-listen to what you said in the beginning. But one of the things that I found interesting is I believe at a certain point, you actually physically feel what your child is going through. I remember I, my now 13-year-old was in the hospital at one point for well over a month when she was about a year old. They couldn't figure out what was wrong with her and they refused to rule out certain things because I said, until they know, they don't know. And at that point she was on IVs and they were giving her the strongest meds that you could physically pump into a little kid's body hoping that whatever was wrong, they they kill, and then we didn't have to do further testing. Now, IV, the needle for it has to be changed every other day or so, so that infection doesn't set in. And because we were in the hospital for so long, I remember at a certain point, they could not find a vein to stick the needle in because all her veins were already bruised from all the pricking. And I, I physically couldn't take it at that point. And I remember I took myself, I put myself over her little body, and I said to the nurse, I legally do not give you permission to give this child another prick. And if you have a problem with it, call the doctor and I'll explain it to the doctor. And they left her alone. But I do believe it, it gets to a point where, yes, you have to have your distance and a child always has to feel that their parent is a safe space and because they look to them that things are going to be and things are going to be the way they have to be. But it gets to points in whatever it is that you're dealing with that you actually feel physical pain over what they're of you feel their pain like how many times do you is your kid like you know choking on something god forbid or holding their breath and you feel like you're also stopping to like you're holding your breath as you're ho holding their hands up well so yeah. i think that's i think there's like a, a fine line there is that yeah. when you're doing it is actually like in your case you actually were advocating for your child so i think there's like a a, a difference there is if it's helping your child if it's serving your child if it's just not serving your child and it's just creating where they have to also feel like i also need to take care of my parents no, fear it's, is the worst thing to, you know. Right. Fear, so fear. I, I, I think it's, I think it's a balance you, that you use to ask Sivi the question of, you know, you're only as happy as your least happy child. I don't know who it's attributed to, and I'm sure there's science, you know, to back it and whoever came up with it has some, but I feel like, I feel like it's such a disservice to parents to even have that idea, even though we could all relate to it because there's a, there's a pain and struggle when you're, when you're a person in your life has that pain, but it's, it's, as everyone here mentioned, it's not what your kid needs from you to lower your level of what you call it regulation, call it happiness, call it function, call it calm, um, to be on the level they're at because you're limited by their experience. It almost holds you captive. And it's almost the last thing that child or person would need from you is to, to kind of be down in it with them as opposed to giving them a hand to help them walk out of it. And so I, I, I mean, I like how Tzivi said, I relate to it, but then maybe we can go deeper. But I kind of, I kind of want to know where that came from, because I feel like 
parents who hear that and, and believe that that is a truth and I think and it's, absorb I think that it's and, actually the natural state. Our natural right. state is to be at, it, like, I don't think it's, yeah, it's I, the truth. It really is the truth. When your child's in pain, you can't feel joy. You have to do the work to get to a place of boundaries and unmatched telling you to be settled there. It's almost telling you the natural state is where you should, where, where it's, you know, where you're at, as opposed to saying there are things you can do to move from that natural, obvious state that everyone could relate to, to something that's better for you and something that's better for your child. So maybe the wording is no good, but let me ask you something. Your kid comes home and they're in a stinky mood. What does that do to you? Contagious. If you have healthy boundaries, it shouldn't sway you. You oh, so just have to be compassionate with that. Well, if you're, if you're, it's vaguely, you're still playing on your piano and just singing and doing whatnot. And no, but, but, rea but reality is it's, you know, you're like, you keep saying positive psychology, positive psychology. I think so much of this is rooted in Tanya, but in Tanya, it speaks about this idea of where you have this emotion to do one thing, like it says, like, well, but what if you suddenly have this desire to do something that's no good, that's improper, right? And so the altar of explains over there. So you have this desire, it's a real desire, but then your mind has to come and say, that desire is there, but I know that I shouldn't have that desire. And so I'm going to tell myself the same way I knocked it out in XYZ, I'll be able to do it over here, over here as well. Or the same way when I had a bigger challenge, I was able to overcome it. If I was able to do it then, then for sure I could do it now. It's Kaya, so when your much. your kid walks in completely dysregulated and freaking out, are you able to access your thought process? I'll I'm tell you, curious. I, I will tell you, I'll tell you exactly. And I, and this, I, I don't, I'm not saying this might be a con. It might be a pro, but I'll tell you how I roll in the inside. I might be dying. My heart might be pumping way faster than it should be fasting, but my outside, they'll never pick up on it. Oh, You're a very Isn't that, person. That's considered my That's exactly that idea of Reb Meislish is that story where he does that. That's the concept right there. But it takes work. And I want to say that it starts with one thing. Like you don't think, once I, I'll tell you something else. Forget sad anxiety. Forget those things. Let's say your child's doing something you don't want them to be doing. That's different. And, but, but I'm just telling you, let's say they're doing something you don't want. And you see them. We discussed this, Bailey. I saw you in 770 when we were in between sessions once, right? Yes. So what was happening you know, inside of you, we, we, that's what we were when doing. Daven, we like that. Yeah, go. What, what were we saying about the age before? <laughs> but actually, I, I wasn't in the dominant part. I was yenting in the background. That was uh, my sister was having it over there. But um, what were what were you saying over there? You were saying what was happening inside of you and the way you manifested yourself to the outside was way different. It was 180 degrees. What was going on inside and what was going on outside was 100% different. And because of what was happening, the way you reacted on the outside, probably the inside then becomes healed a lot quicker. Absolutely. But I think that there's one piece here and that is it begins with empathy and it starts off with this idea that you could, it's not like, it's not a problem that this line is being said. It's a fact of life, right? So you have to acknowledge it. First, you have to see your feelings and acknowledge them by pushing them away immediately. They just leak out somewhere else. You need so it's like your acknowledge, but you always talk about awareness. Yeah, you need nothing. to have awareness of what, okay, so this is what's happening here. My child's in pain and I'm feeling pain here, but this is not going to help my child. Okay, Razel, it's okay that you're feeling pain. You're normal. This is normal. Now start regulating. Start calming down. Do you ever down, think that there's some emotions that you should not recognize? That you just have to shut them down yeah. and never allow themselves to express? No, no. I don't think any no, emotion can ever. Kaya. No, I think that if you do that, it will leak out somewhere else. 
That's how I, I see just it. saw a great one. Someone just sent me this. It's a repressing an emotion is like trying to hold the ball down when you're in the pool. Keep right. pushing it down, push it down, push it down, push it down. You can't feel it. And then what happens? What happens? You see that if you're, if you're as sad as your saddest child, that it's so detrimental to your other children. And of course, we, we all know that this service, we know that it's right. not, it's, it's, we know That's that we know the problem in it. The question is, is start I, I think you're sad as your saddest child, Miriam, like, yes, where to come from. I think, I think it almost sounds like a knockoff of, of um, you're Happy, only as strong as your weakest link. You know, they like people like it sounds good together. So, you know, they right. throw I, don't, together. I, don't have, I don't have any issue with acknowledging the reality. I'm just saying that if it stops there and you don't go deeper into what, what, what is beneficial about this feeling, what can I do that would be helpful or productive despite the fact that I'm feeling this way is what everyone's saying that that as parents letting what you're feeling inside be expressed you know unfiltered and unevolved is not a conducive household to healthy children sitting with our feelings doesn't mean that sitting with our feelings means like what Rizal said it means acknowledging it correct accepting it being compassionate to, towards those feelings you're saying and you're then upset. being proactive about right. making or that right. supermarket experience that you mentioned you know you're very well aware, but. Okay, so we don't have time to finish off. So I'm going to finish off with like a general question, even though Achaya had pointed this question to you, but I'd love for you to all answer this question. So it's well known that fun, we talked about this idea that fun is not the same thing as happiness. Pleasure is not the same thing as happiness. Meaning and purpose are much more important to happiness. Like as Victor Frankl says, if you have a why, you can find a how, you can get through any how. But well, I want to ask you, what is your why? If you could just, each of you tell me, explain what is your why? What is your why? Okay. So when you have purpose and meaning, so Viktor Frankl did a whole, he, he was a Holocaust survivor, right? And he was able to, he had his whole thing called logotherapy. And he, one of the things that he saw in the camps, which proved the points that he was working on prior to going to the camps was that if a purpose a person had purpose and meaning, they were able to get out. He even saw somebody who was counting the days and had some kind of idea that some kind of dream that this and this day, it's going to happen. And that day came and went till that day, the person was able to get through it. The day came, he dropped dead. He couldn't handle it because that didn't happen for him. So when you have a purpose and you have meaning in your life for him, it was his wife that he was, he, he dreamed about that was going to, was going to be returned to her. But this idea that when we have a purpose, we can get through any, how we can get through any difficulty. Cause we have, we have a why we, we have a reason. I, I, I think that we're all kind of in some way cut out of the same piece of cloth. We all, all went through the same schooling and we all use the same fundamentals to direct us in life so we're all kind of going to have the same wows why is it nice. sorry but i will tell you i read a very interesting if i could say tale which puts some perspective also and it said this this guy decided that he wants to teach his children that you shouldn't rush to judgment and so he decides that he's going to send each of his four boys to check out this this tree at a different season. One son he sends in the summer, one son in the winter, one son in the fall, one son in the, in the, what did I do? What did I give you? A summer, winter, fall, spring. fall, spring, all the seasons. And it's a fruit tree. He tells him to come back and tell, tell him what they saw. And each son comes back to the father and he tells him what they saw. The, the son that goes in the winter says that tree, it's a miserable, twisted, leafless tree and the sun that goes in the spring oh it's showing full of hope and promise and the one in the summer is saying how it's dripping with fruit etc and what the father uses story 
for his ch child was to say that you can't make a judgment because of one particular season that you're seeing. And I think as we go through life, we have to realize that as well. Don't make, don't come to conclusions on your life because of a particular season that you're going through. And we know the Torah says, Ki adam etesada, man is a tree of the field. I don't know, maybe this is also something that our Chachamim were referring to, you know, as people, we all go through our seasons. And just because a person is having a miserable winter and the tree is barren, it doesn't mean that life is miserable. You're, if you understand the process of how it works, you're going to get out of that winter and you're going to have that spring and you're going to have, you're going to give your, you're going to give your fruit. So as to the why, I think we're all going to give the same answer. So anybody else want to uh, go for it? I think the same, that same, you know, that the Rebbe, in the Rebbe's words, Rebbe said, like, literally, there's a Yiddish Sikh, the Rebbe says, Yeder Yidar Fisen as Erez an ambassador from the Abishtar. We all, like, in every situation, in every circumstance, to recognize that you have a why right there. You're in that place as an agent of God to fix, to heal, to bring hope, to, to, and whether it's internal fixing that needs to happen through that circumstance or something external that has to be corrected or hugged or healed. I remember one of my first years here in Turkey, my oldest was an incredibly colic child, it gave me great insights to lots of things in parenting. And at that time, we didn't have Vonage like we have now, where I speak to my where you basically have a US line and you could speak whenever you want. Calling home then was prohibitively expensive. But I made the effort because I needed it then. And I remember one day I was standing on our, in our first apartment. We were on the top floor and I'm looking out at the, at the street over there. There's always traffic to get my mind off things. And I'm speaking to a younger sibling of mine on the phone. And he said to me, so Chaya, how are things going? Going back to the first question you asked me about lonely. And I said to him, you know what? Things here are really amazing. I'm becoming a millionaire living here. And his answer to me was, Chaya, you count your wealth differently. And he said this to me 20, almost 21 years ago. And this is something that was a aha moment for me, something that stayed with me because you have to decide how is it that you count your wealth. And that I think will bring us to what this whole topic was about. If we realize what what is wealth and the happiness is wealth, it, it changes things completely. And what Sivi said, the why on a general level as Jews, you know, why is our level, why am I, why? My why is because God decided that he wanted a place here on earth. And for some reason he decided that I was a great builder to create this home that he wanted. And there's a job that only I could do because if not, I wouldn't be here. That would be a general. And I think on a personal level, we would all say, what is our why? Our why's would most likely be our family, yeah. our kids, whatever we see as our personal mission in life. And if we have our why, then you've got your happiness too. Right. I, would, I, would, I would echo that. And Sivi quoted something the Rebbe said about everyone being an ambassador. And I think for me, my like personal avida in happiness is to, to work on being content, not always knowing and not always having clarity of like, what am I being an ambassador for who? And, and, and right now, like, what am I supposed to be doing right now to not always have that answer and that clarity? I think just to, to bring it to something practical, a lot of people experience Shabbos as the day of rest after a long week. It's like, calm, you're with your family. And not for, for most people, well, right? Uh, not for most of us shluchos, but right. yeah. But, but I, that's why I said for, for many people, that's what Shabbos is. It's, 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 
peaceful and calm and, and happy. And, you know, if you're having whatever 200 students come for dinner, I don't know if those are the words or the adjectives you would use for a calming, peaceful Shabbos. It's like the busiest, most hectic day of my week. And so what worked for me that I think is relevant to happiness, joy, other contentment and, and, you know, regulating yourself is um, that I just changed the language. It's not a day of rest. It's a day of finding contentment in what is, even if what is, is chaotic and noisy and, 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 and maybe even stressful, like to find okayness or, you know, I think that was what you started with that other is about being that the joy in just being, if I can be content in this environment, I'll be okay. And I don't have all the answers, but that's where uh, uh, at least the exercising muscle of joy is, is like, I'm finding contentment, being okay with what is. And yeah, maybe tomorrow I'm going to have to find a method and a tool and, you know, a better technique because what is, is, is crazy and it isn't working, but to try to find the, the, the peace in just being and just not always knowing why, why this exactly. I think a big part of it is knowing what to let go. And if I could just tell you, it says, you know, uh, misery loves company, right? But they say, so does happiness and happiness makes a much greater party. So Love that. I was going to say, if what you don't, if thing. you're if going back to my original question, if you're not feeling it, at least surround yourself with people that could influ influence you and impact you. I love that too. Well. That's these are, well, I want to finish off and close out with today's Hayyam Yayim because I thought it was, you know, interesting that um, it says in the Hayyam Yayim that he, I'm going to read it, that my revered father, the Rebbe Rashab, once remarked, it's clear to me that when a Hasidic Jew sits in the house of study and learns or reviews out loud a teaching of Hasidus together with others, he brings joy to my forefathers. And this happiness generates abundant goodness, both material and spiritual, for that person, for his children, for his grandchildren. And I'm sure that today, our time today sitting and sharing with each other words of inspiration and wisdom, lived life experiences which have been formed through the way that we were raised with teachings of Tyre and Chassidus, and now sharing them today with others through this podcast, we are increasing joy and happiness for others, for ourselves, for our children, our grandchildren. So my blessing to each of you, my dear friends, is that we all be blessed with a revealed happiness for ourselves, for our family, that we should be able to stay in the moment, be regulated, be here, be present, show up for whatever it is, let go of that control, and um, really, truly tap into that happiness. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Rachel, for having us. Thank you. Thank so you for enjoyable. joining me. I hope you all enjoyed. Thank you. This What's not great. to enjoy? Hanging out with friends. It was so Literally. fun. So good to see you great all. Great opportunity. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There are so many incredible takeaways from today's conversation. One of the main takeaways for me is that happiness is not only about doing. We get so caught up with the idea that we need to be busy and productive and accomplishing things to feel happy. But happiness is really about just being, being at peace with what is, accepting what's in front of us and breathing through it and finding joy in that. I also love this idea that we need to work on our happiness and take ownership of it. Even though our children or loved ones may be in pain or struggling, we can and we must find ways to regulate ourselves and stay in our lane and be supportive to them. And at the same time, not take it on for ourselves, not get on the roller coaster. We have to kind of stay somewhat removed from the pain. Although this is very difficult, this is where the magic happens. I want you to take a moment and think about a time that your child or loved one was in pain or going through a difficult time and think about how you could have showed up more regulated and more calm. Think about ways that can help you for the next chance, the next opportunity to stay present and in the moment. It is possible and you can do it. 
I hope today's podcast leaves you feeling empowered and ready to tap into your own personal strength to choose happiness. If you would like to not miss any of the upcoming episodes, hit the subscribe button and it will let you know when new shows are released. If you could take a moment to leave a rating or a review, it would mean a lot to me and it would help others to find our podcast. Thank you so much for being here and wishing you a positive day.